Good morning, Southfield. Would you please stand? We're going to sing Search My Heart. We're going to make this our prayer this morning. Search my heart and search my soul. There's nothing else that I want more. Shine your light and show your face. In my life, Lord, have your way. So with all my heart and all my soul, with all I am, Lord, I will follow you. Without you, I'm nothing. 
is our everything and without him we are nothing well welcome to southfield this morning it's great to be here with you this morning we're starting a new sermon series and i'm really really excited about it it's um i don't know if you picked up the card last week or maybe saw it when you're walking in and it's it has a stop sign on it and it's rest it's on rest and honestly i don't do, do a very good job of just resting and stopping and just taking that time out and who am I to say that that's not important, especially when God made sure that he rested. And so I'm really excited to get into this sermon series and, and into God's word just to, to hear what he has to say and what he's been giving Dennis to say to us um, in the message that he has for us on rest. Another thing that I don't do very well, it's confessions of, you know, things I don't do well this morning, I guess, um, is handing over to God those things that I'm carrying with me, those, those concerns, those cares, those burdens, I kind of just hold them on, hold on to them and just keep them with me and walk around with them. And I don't know if I just don't trust God with them, or maybe I don't think that, you know, God sees how important it is to me. Um, but I just, I have a hard time sometimes of letting them go. And, and it's before long, I wonder why am I weary? Why am I just, I feel so burdened down. And then I realize, you know what? I'm holding on to that stuff. And I was not intended to hold on to that stuff. And God has clearly said that he's going to carry our burdens for us. And we're not intended to walk around with those things and those concerns because he is more than enough to take care of those things. And so as we sing this next song that we introduced last week, um, so it is new. So if you weren't here last week, don't feel like, oh, you know, we missed something or I've been gone forever. But um, it is a new a new song that we, we brought last week and it's cast my cares. I'm going to cast my cares on you, God. Number one, because I know that you're good. Number two, because I know that you love me and I have confidence that you're going to take care of everything for me, whether it's in a way that I, I think you should or the way that you know is best. So let's sing.
strength is gone In the middle of a fire When fear is closing in You are, you are my song You're my hope when hope is gone So I will cast my cares on you, the Almighty I will cast my cares on you, cause you're good Father, God of glory, Lord, we know that you are able to handle anything and everything, God. And Father, we know that we are powerless without you, but with you, nothing is impossible. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you're bigger than we are. 
And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today, Father, through your word. Speak to us in ways that will move us and change us, Lord, and make us more like you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, hi. Good to see you today. There is no uh, small irony, amount of irony today in the fact that we're beginning a series on rest the day after a whole bunch of people were clearing trees, getting exhausted. So, uh, wow, we had a really, really great day yesterday. So glad so many of you responded to get out there. And we, we did a whole bunch of clearing of trees and burning of trees. And, and then the floods came. That water came out of the sky and, and nicely put out the fire for us. It worked out really well. But glad you're here today. We're about half done with that job. So if you missed out yesterday, uh, there's still plenty to do. And we're going to continue to go ahead and send out emails, basically letting you know when, when that's happening. So what I want to basically say today is as you walked in, you got a card on the, on, uh, in your folder. And on that card, if you just put your name and your email address, if you're not getting church emails, make sure you go ahead and give that to us so that we can get those sent out to you. And if you've given us your email address for you know, five, ten times and you're still not receiving them, it might be a glitch in the system. So let us know that so that we can go ahead and try to figure out what's happening and get that working for you. At different stages in my life, I've, I've found myself asking a question. Um, what, does, what does it mean to be a pastor? What, what is that all about? You know, I believe God called me to this role, and I believe God called me to this place. And as he continues to grow me, I think there are times that, that, that the meaning of that word uh, continues to morph and change and grow and develop. For most people, I think when they, when they think pastor, they would equate it with the word, with the word chaplain. Chaplains marry, they bury, they hold hands, play guitar, play harmonica. They know every word to kumbaya. And they can lead a great round of it. They're good at that. When I hear chaplain, I think of Father Mulcahy. Remember Father Mulcahy from MASH? This guy who, you know, I mean, he was, he was there doing his thing. But honestly, uh, while he was very nice, when it came, came time for battle... He wasn't really necessary. He was just, he was there being a, being a nice guy. So in this season, once again, I'm trying to gain this clear perspective on, on what that word means. And, you know, I'm more convinced than ever that my primary job isn't organizational leadership or even, or even clear communication, what I'm doing right now. My job really comes down to two words, soul care, helping people to learn how to care well for their souls. That, that's what it's all about. Now, I got to admit, that is a pretty nebulous job description. It's not like you can hold a soul in your hands. Hey, here's one. How, how do we provide care for this? What, what do we do for this? How does this work? Yet I'm called, I believe, to care for souls. Peter says this in his first epistle to the elders of the church. Uh, he says, be shepherds of the flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. The New Living Translation, I think, breaks this down even better. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Care for souls. Willingly care for souls. And that's the direction that God has been turning my head in, in this, in this uh, part of, of my journey as a pastor. And as I try to get my arms around that word. I love the writings of a man named Eugene Peterson. He wrote this question that pastors should ask themselves regularly. He wrote, who are these particular people and how can I be with them in such a way that they can become what God is making them? Uh, Spiritual shepherds care for souls. They help people realize the dreams that God has in store for them if only they will pursue it. Now, if I were born 100 years ago, I suspect I would have been a farmer. Uh, Not because everybody was a farmer, 
but, but because uh, there's something in my wiring that really loves that. And I, and I would have farmed crops, not animals. I, I'm into gardening. You know that by now. I love getting my hands in dirt. You know, yesterday we're digging out these trees and I'm sitting at the edge of the driveway and, and I get my hands in this dirt and I'm like, it's beautiful black dirt. Why didn't we put the garden here instead of where we did over there? Just kind of observing and, and enjoying that. Uh, God's also wired me in another way. I, I like to just observe things. I, I live with my eyes wide open. I'm no Noticing stuff all the time. I see details and I notice things that sometimes get easily overlooked. So when it comes to gardening, I notice little details. I notice holes in leaves. I notice the color of the leaves. I notice hoof prints in the, in the dirt. I notice when there's a need for water, all these things. And then what I do based on what I observe is I, I care for the soul of my plants. I, I care for their, for their life and help them to grow. If I had farmed animals, I probably would have raised sheep. I I just, there's something about sheep. They're kind of cool. Philip Keller wrote a great book years ago called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. Here's a man who had a lifetime of experience of herding sheep. And he then took that experience and said, and this is how this applies to these words that David wrote, who was a shepherd many years ago. Now, you know these words. What I'm going to ask you to do is read them aloud with me. Read them from the heart. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. I know the psalm is about the good shepherd. It's about Jesus. But but as one of his under shepherds, I find myself asking, how can I help people find restoration for their souls? How can I help them find the, the still waters where they can drink deeply and the green meadows where they can be fed fully and rest safely. I'm a shepherd. That's my role. That, that's the core of my calling as a pastor. Now, if I were herding sheep, this is probably what I'd do. I'd go out and one of the things I do regularly is kind of, you know, check their wool. How thick is that wool? Because that's going to be a sign of, of their health and how they're doing. Um, I'd look at their exposed skin and see, are there any cuts or wounds, things that need to be cared for? <coughs> I'd study the way they walk. Watch them from behind and see if they're walking gingerly, if maybe they hurt a hoof or something. I'd look deeply into their eyes, and then like every good farmer, I'd, I'd pull back their lips and look at their teeth, because that's what farmers do, right? Look at the teeth of their animal. So um, a good shepherd knows the condition of his sheep. Now, as a person caring, providing care for the, the souls of people, I spend time inspecting the sheep, too. Now, I don't peel back your lips and look at your teeth. That, that, somehow that wouldn't seem right. But I do observe your lives. I watch you physically, mentally, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I just watch. And it's funny. After years of living with my eyes wide open and watching people, there are so many predictable patterns and predictable trends in people's lives. So I admit it. I watch you. I observe you. Recent inspections have revealed a condition of the soul that I'd describe as an epidemic. Many sheep of this flock suffer from a modern disease. We'll label it hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. In every demographic of life here, every age group, I mean down to the kids, I see people who are frantic, fatigued, frazzled, fragmented, and falling apart. I mean, life is just getting the best of them. Hurry is getting the best of all of us. We never stop 
For some, it's been years since they've taken a a deep drink from still waters or allowed themselves to rest in green pastures. The fact is, we are restless, restless. We have We're literally lacking in rest. We suffer a soul sickness that results from just never, ever stopping. And here's what I suspect, that this condition is not unique to our flock. I suspect that if we started going from American church to American church, we would find evidence of this disease, like, like, like bird flu or, or mad cow. We'd find this hurry sickness is epidemic among American Christians. It's robbing us of one of Christ's most fundamental promises. In John 10, he's talking about his role as a good shepherd. And he says, this is what I want to do for you. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Full life. A beautiful life. Just stop for a minute and think about this question. Does fullness describe your life? Just rest there for a minute. Does fullness describe your life? I think that if we were looking for words to describe our lives, fullness may not be the one. We'd be using words like depleted and exhausted. Those would be much more fitting. You know, he started this passage by saying, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief wants you to be exhausted and depleted. The thief loves it when you're running on empty. What's the opposite of fullness? Emptiness. That's the dream of the thief for you. The dream of the thief is that you live a drained out life. So as we set out in this new series, I'm I'm making an assumption. I'm assuming that, that some, if not all of us, are afflicted to some degree with hurry sickness. And if you're not right now, you've probably figured out the cure and you've slowed down some, but you are always susceptible because as a human being, you can just jump right back into that rat race and start all over again. I've observed this disease in my own life in different seasons. Um, It's a disease really that all moderns battle. I used to think the answer to this was, you know, just get away. You need more breaks. Run hard, run really, really hard, and then take a good break. Take a good vacation. So what would I do? Like a lot of you, I'd work like a madman. I'd get totally blown out and burned out. And then vacation would come, and you know how that works. The two weeks before vacation cause you to need a vacation even more because you're so exhausted. So I'd stagger to the car and drive away. And for the first few days, the kids would want to do something. Daddy, can we go play? No, let's take a nap. And I'd just be, I'd be like coma man for the first several days of a vacation. And then finally something called life would start flowing through my veins once again. And I'd start to feel refreshed. And I'm like, hey, it's working. This is great. You know, I was living like a camel. Get a drink and just run as much as you can until you get to the next oasis. But what I was finding is that it just plain, it wasn't working. Because the second I'd get back home, immediately I'd just see, you know, some of those old video games where they have the power bar next to the player. I'd just see my energy going down like crazy. 
One of our favorite places to get away, you know this by now, is, is Green Lake. We love going about four hours north, spending time there in Wisconsin. We've been going there since the late 90s. And there's a sign on that conference, conference grounds that, that's really, it's spiritual for me. Now when you see it, you're going to wonder about my spirituality. No dogs beyond this point. I love this sign. It's at the end of this 100-year-old stone suspension bridge. And you come walking down, and there's this sign. And I see it, and I smile. And it's not because I'm a dog hater. I, I will admit, I, when, when, my, when my neighbor's dog is in the fourth hour of barking and I'm trying to sleep, yeah, I'm not real crazy about that. I like peace. I, I like some quiet. But, but for me, this sign is not about physical barking. It's figurative, and it's spiritual. Nothing is allowed to bark at me at Green Lake. When I get there, I'm away from home. I'm away from everything. My phone doesn't even work well. AT&T stinks up there. I mean, I might as well take my phone and just throw it in the lake. While I'm there, what I find is that the dogs stop barking. And when the dogs aren't barking, rest comes easy for me. Have you noticed that? When there's no stress, you feel really rested. Isn't it great? You're pulled away. This is all great. This is really good. And my symptoms of hurry sickness would start to go away until we got in the car to drive home. We'd hit the gate. And in order to come home, there are two ways to go. The faster way is through Chicago. And so there we are. We're driving by O'Hare. I'm white knuckling. And I'm like, that vacation was fantastic. You know, I'm just, I'm tense already. I'm not even home yet. And I'm already getting all wound up. So then we figured out, hey, if we go 39, it'll be slower. But at least the rest will last about 10 minutes longer than it did before. It didn't work. It just didn't work. Getting away For little moments. I mean, we all need that. But that's not the answer to a restorative lifestyle. And so I started asking this question. How can I find rest at home? How can I find rest here without having to run away and get it somewhere else? How can I slow down long enough to drink deeply from still waters and eat from green pastures? How can I live a rhythm of restoration? Now, what I'm going to suggest to you today is that we need to reorient our lives. And that reorientation is going to be radical. It's going to be countercultural. It's going to be difficult at first. But it is going to be so worthwhile if you'll just pursue it. If you take this soul care tool and put it into practice, I'm convinced that your life experience is going to look a lot more like the dream Jesus has for you. A life lived to the full rather than the dream of the thief which is a life of depletion and running on empty. Jesus promised life of fullness, yet like I said, for a lot of us, that is far, far from from our experience. We are actually choosing, we're choosing, we're opting for the dream of the thief. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. The thief depletes us. Now, observing this hurry sickness in my own life and in the life of other people, led me on a search. I'm trying to understand how, what's the answer? How did God's people experience a restorative lifestyle in the Bible? And how have other people who have walked with God experienced that kind of restoration? So when I'm observing problems in my garden... One of the things that I do, you know, a few years back, my Roma tomatoes were, they were getting black on the bottom. Like, what's that all about? Or every once in a while, my tomato plants will just try to throw their buds. So what do I do? Well, I do what all good moderns do. I Googled it. Googled 
uh, black bottom romas, which, you know, be careful with that. But anyway, you, you just <laughs> try Googling and finding out what, what you got going here. And uh, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm Googling and trying to find answers, trying to figure out how this thing works. Well, when it comes to spiritual stuff, Googling is an option, but I got a much better option for you. Instead of going on the internet and finding out someone's opinion, why not go to the Bible? It's the answer book on the way your soul works best. I mean, we're, we're so good at this. We buy a new appliance or we buy a new tool. And we, we pull it out of the box and we go, I can figure this thing out. And we just start punching buttons and doing all kinds of stuff with it. And then it doesn't work right. And we're like, this thing had to have come with an instruction manual, right? We do the same thing with our lives. Here we are, life isn't working right. And we finally go, you know, maybe there's an answer out there somewhere. And so we start to search. The Bible is a great place to search in order to find the answer to this hurry sickness. So I found the answer just two chapters into the Bible. It didn't even take very long. And then it's throughout the rest of the scripture. I'd like you to look at this verse, these verses with me from Genesis chapter 2. Starting with verse 1, it says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Now, I want you to just stop and ponder that truth for a moment. God took a break. God rested. God stopped doing work. That's kind of mind-blowing. That is a mind-blowing thought. God decided, I need a day to stop. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment as well. It's pretty profound. Review in your mind for a moment the seventh day of creation, the seven days of creation, the days the things were made, okay? Do you remember which day Adam was made? If you remember the day, shout out the number. Good job. Much, much clearer than the first service, although they're usually tired. So you did all right. Yeah, exactly. The sixth day, God made Adam this human being. So, so I want you to think about this for a moment. If Adam was made on the sixth day, then his first full day of human existence was day seven. His first full day of human existence was the day God took a break and said, I just want to be with you. His first full day wasn't, all right, I got a list for you. Let's start plowing. We got a garden to take care of. His first full day of existence was stop. Just stop and be with me. From there forward, one day a week, Adam stopped with God. Adam stopped like God. Adam rested. Now, in Exodus, God encoded this practice of of stopping into his ten foundational laws. It's listed as number four of the Ten Commandments. It's the longest and most delineated of the commandments. You remember in the list he started with, make no other gods, have no other gods but me, make no idols of me, use my name properly, don't use it in an empty way. And then he said this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. I mean, that, that's even more work than the American ideal, right? We work five days and have two off theoretically. Six days a week, 
You're allowed to do your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And then he describes who anybody is. Okay, This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigner living, foreigners living among you. And then the reason, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. God tied this day of stopping to a rhythm of creation, a rhythm of work and rest, work and rest. You see, many Christians, many Christians misunderstand work. They think work is a byproduct of the curse. They think that if Adam and Eve hadn't, haven't eaten the forbidden fruit, all of us would just lay around all day on our backs being fed clusters of grapes. Ah, this is the life. This is what it's all about, right? But man, they had to eat that fruit, and now we have to work. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. If you look at Genesis one twenty-eight, this is what you'll read. It says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He said, subdue it, rule over it. I mean, that's work. God called us. He created us for working. Now, why did he do that? Because because he needed minions? He needed to get things done? Is that what it was about? No, look at verse 27 of that same chapter. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The commands were clear. You were never supposed to make an image, an idol, representing God. And yet, the image of God clearly exists in the earth. It exists imprinted on the soul of every human being. We are made in God's image. What does that mean? He is a creator. We are creative. He worked, and so we work. He rested And so we're supposed to rest as well. As image bearers, we reflect the nature, the character, and the actions of God. Now this word create, this is going to have just huge significance for the people that were out there clearing trees yesterday, okay? Um, The word create carries with it the idea of clearing a path through a virgin forest, Okay, that's what, that's what it means to create. It's as if you're on a, on a piece of property like ours. I mean, the last time that place was used for farming was in the 1940s. It was a cow pasture. And then it was just allowed to grow wild. And yesterday we saw a lot of that wild as we just started clearing that path and going through and into that property. What, what, what that word create means is that every one of us, we're unique individuals created in God's image, and every one of us when we're born have a forest sitting before us and we get to blaze our own unique trail through human history. You have your path and I have my path and we just get the privilege of doing that work and creating that unique path. It was never God's intent that his people would not work We work here, and we're going to work in heaven. Some of you have this picture of heaven being like an eternal church service. I mean, please, even as a pastor, I don't want that. I mean, 
Dana, I love you, and the band is great, and you know it's nice to hear teaching, but honestly, after a while, you'd want to stand up or do something. Eternity of sitting in church? No, you know what God says? We're going to worship Him forever. Worshiping isn't just standing, singing, listening to messages, and giving in offerings. A life of worship is a life of service. It's a life of working for God. Here's what's cool. For eternity, we are going to exist for the purpose of doing the will of God with joy, without sin, and with the purest of motives. We are going to fulfill His desires for the rest of our existence. The curse did not create work. It made work burdensome. In fact, it is, you can thank the curse for the feeling tomorrow you will have when you wake up and go, oh, it's Monday. That's the curse. That's the curse. The curse is the hate we have for work, that feeling we have. God designed us to live in a rhythm, a rhythm of fulfilling work and satisfying rest. Now, the command to stop is also expressed a second time in the Bible. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And if you were to put the Exodus passage and the Deuteronomy passage right next to them, you'd find that first part is very similar. He goes through the list of all the people that are not allowed to work and what's not allowed to happen. But in verse 15, he puts a different twist on the reason for resting. He says, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out out with his strong hand and powerful arm That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath. You see, in Exodus, God emphasized the creation aspects of the Sabbath. But in Deuteronomy, he turns their attention to their time of slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. You know, it's interesting. We think about the people that that went there. And we think about the people that left there. But do you realize that in the middle, there are a lot of people that were born and died as slaves in Egypt. They never knew any other kind of lifestyle. And in that time, they didn't get a break. They didn't get a day off. They had no rest. It's funny, we're out there working yesterday, and some of us, we were getting really exhausted. And I literally had this thought. Do you remember in the movie, The Ten Commandments, where the poor old guy, he can barely work anymore, and so the taskmaster gets over him and starts to whip him? I'm, I'm working yesterday. I'm getting delirious. I'm kind of stumbling, and I'm thinking, even if that guy started whipping me, I don't know that I could move any more than I am right now. That's the way these people live. They lived with somebody, a taskmaster, always telling them, do more, produce more, put out more. And they lived without a break. That was not God's intent for them. God designed them for something different. For 400 years as slaves, they had been deprived of God's creation rhythm of work and rest. He wanted to restore them to their original design. So from both God's example in Genesis 1 and two separate expressions of his command, God calls his people to set apart a day as holy unto God, a day of stopping. Now, here's here's basically what I observe of our people. We're frantic and frazzled. We're fatigued. We're fragmented. We're falling apart. And why? Because we never stop. We just never stop. We think we stop. We take a day off, which is what? A day to catch up on all the stuff we didn't do all week. We think we stop. 
Because we might build in a little leisure or pleasure or a distraction in our lives. But in the way God calls his people to cease, we never really stop. We resist it. We resist this command. We resist God's call to stop. While exploring this topic, I I read a book by uh, Patrick Lencioni called The Three Big Questions for Frantic Families. He has one chapter that's entitled The Frantic Family. I want to read, read part of this. And why don't you just hear it and, um, and ask yourself if it doesn't sound like your own life or the life of people you know. The vast majority of families I know, including my own, would admit that one or more of the following adjectives applies to them. Reactive, scattered, frantic, chaotic, and stressed. And if you were to ask them if they were living their lives with a sense of purpose and intentionality that they want, every last one of them would look at you like you were mocking them and say, are you kidding me? At first glance, this is almost humorous. Complaining about the crazy lives we lead is something of a rite of passage in our culture. Unfortunately, society is facing a serious epidemic of chaos in families, the cost of which is both real and painful. In addition to the general increases in levels of disappointment and stress, rates of depression, substance abuse, and psychological disorder are rising dramatically. And this is especially true among middle and upper class families who are overwhelmed by unfocused day-to-day lives that they lead. Now listen to this. See if this doesn't sound familiar. Kids who are being shuttled from school to soccer to ballet to baseball to piano lessons to birthday parties to counselors to tutors to athletic trainers are not turning out the way their parents want. And parents who are doing all that shuttling and working and cooking and cleaning and socializing and exercising are not feeling fulfilled. They're looking at one another and wondering, is this inevitable? Is this how it's supposed to be? And when they see everyone scattered and stressed like they are, they're coming to the conclusion that maybe it is. I am here to say that it is not supposed to be this way. And it is certainly not inevitable. Yes, life should be busy and will be busy at times. But should also be lived with a sense of purpose and sanity that allows us to be the people we are meant to be. And I don't think anyone is meant to be perpetually tired and stressed. What what is it that our families are lacking that causes all of this? I would contend we've forgotten how to rest. We've just forgotten how to rest. We've lived for years violating God's design for our lives. Somewhere along the way, we fell for the myth of our culture that if we work faster and harder and longer and even longer, if we just keep plowing, we'll experience fullness. But instead, we're hurry sick and all the racing has led to fatigue and really a sense of failure. In the second chapter of the Bible, God gave us the solution. Embrace your God-given, God-desired God-reflecting rhythm of work and rest, of going and stopping, of creating and of ceasing from creation. God made us to set apart a day, to make one day holy and special just for him. Now, traditionally, the word used for that is Sabbath. And I admit, I resist using that word. It's a good word. Don't get me wrong. The word literally means this picture I took this summer. 
It literally means stop. I mean, if you were to rename the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, stop. The word literally means cease. Don't do anything. Stop. It's a good word. But it's filled with misapplication and misunderstanding. You see, most Christians, when they hear the word Sabbath, they think it is strictly strictly an Old Testament or Jewish practice. They mishear the words of Jesus, of Paul and others, and, and draw the conclusion that for us, there are only nine commandments and one option. One, one thing out there that you might want to try if you're a super Christian or something, but, but you don't really have to do that one. For others, the term Sabbath conjures up images of a rigid, legalistic childhood that was far from restorative or refreshing. It was a burden, not a blessing. And they've opted to throw off the shackles of religious oppression and do whatever they want. Then there are those who see the Sabbath as so countercultural that it's simply unrealistic. To practice a Sabbath would be like, it would be like borderline Amish. I'd have to go buy a buggy and a horse and see me going down Route 6, click, click, click. I mean, it'd be like, I can't live like that. Are you kidding me? Uh, it, would, it, it just wouldn't, how in the world would it mesh with the practices of modern living? So we reject it. We just reject it out of hand. Oh, we do Sunday. You do, right? You're here. We go to church. But what most of us do on Sunday is a far cry from the meaning of the word Sabbath in the Bible. God is clear. For six days, six days, you can work and create. You can clear your path through the virgin forest. But one day a week, one day a week, we're supposed to stop. We're to cease from creating and working. We're to stop fighting the thorns and thistles in the garden. We're to just rest in the presence of God. God designed us to honor a rhythm, a rhythm of work and rest, a rhythm that he set in place in the week of creation, a rhythm he wrote in stone with his finger and on the heart of every human being. Six days a week you get to go to work, but one day a week, one day a week, we need to stop. Now in the weeks to come, We'll talk about the, the purpose of stopping. We'll talk about the ways to actually make stopping part of our lives. And I've got to admit to you, as we approach this, I can't think of a topic that I've approached with more apprehension than I do this one. Why? Part of it? I, it's, not, it's not that I think that it's con- controversial. It's, it's just so countercultural. It's truly a, a forgotten way. Secularism has taken hold of every part of society, even church life. It's there. And I fear that what's going to happen is that we're going to spend eight weeks talking about this and and, and you're going to remain with this mentality of, you know, that Sabbath idea. That's great for a pastor who, who gets paid to live holy. But, but I live in the real world, and, and this is just nuts. So great theory you got there, Dennis, but, uh, you know, it's never going to work for me. No way. I'm apprehensive as well because I really do believe this, this is vital. It's vital for the health of your soul. And it is vital for the health of your family's soul. But you know, for a lot of us, we go to the doctor. The doctor doesn't even have to put us on the scale. He just looks and says, hey, you could use a little weight loss there. Drop a couple pounds. We go to a personal trainer and they say something like, you know what would really help you? Moving. 
Just move. And you, you, you'd be doing a lot better than you are right now. We, we go to the doctor. We go to the trainer. We hear it. And, and then we go to the church and the pastor says, what you really need is rest. And we put that in that same list of, wouldn't that be nice? But I don't know. I don't know. It's just not going to work for me. It's optional, we see it. Maybe, maybe ideal, but unnecessary, uninteresting, and impractical. So I probably won't do it. I have such a sense of urgency about this. I really do. The quality of your life could increase dramatically if you would just cooperate with God's rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest. These weekly patterns are important. So... What we'll talk about for the next several weeks, I really believe, is God's cure for hurried souls. And I hope that you'll embrace it. Please, I, I just beg you, don't, don't ignore what God has to say. You don't have to listen to me, but don't ignore what God has to say. So as we talk about rest, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have homework every week because homework leads to rest, right? That makes you feel so rested. No, I, what I'm going to try to do, it's one thing to sit here and listen It's another thing to think to the things we've talked about and start to try to see, okay, maybe I'm not totally buying into this yet, but but if we tried it, what would it look like? So I'm going to give you some assignments that will help you to start to think about how could I actually incorporate this into my own life and into the life of my family and even into our church's life. The first one is just an attitude survey. I'm going to give it to you on the way out the door. We'll also have these available by every electronic means possible. So you'll find it on Facebook. We'll tweet it. We'll you know, email it to you. It'll be out there. You'll be able to get it. But it's an attitude survey, and basically what I'm asking you is, when you hear the word Sabbath, what comes to your head? What's been your practice with Sabbath? Uh, The things I described in terms of the people resist it, which which one lines up best with you? So sometime during the week, just go ahead and answer the questions. Bring it back. I'll buy some gold stars this week. I'll feel really good. Boom, gold star. Yay, woo. It's really going to help me to get a sense of where your head is on this and where your heart is on it. So just be honest with it. And And then as we progress, we'll start getting into just really analyzing how our life is functioning right now and whether or not a sabbath wouldn't be something that would really fit well into our days that day of stopping is so important so you might want to make it part of your lunch topic today talk about it with your family or even on the drive home but find some time to talk this through and then bring back the answers we're going to go ahead and participate in communion right now and so before we do i'd like to pray father you You've given us so many instructions that help us to know how life's supposed to work. And we live this this human existence and um, we're just, we're wandering around with this feeling of brokenness and this reality. We look at our lives and we just go, this isn't working. And we wonder what we have to do differently. And, And you've given all the instructions so clearly. This is how life works best. If you'll just do what I say, this is how life works best. God, I pray that we would have a tremendous amount of openness to you in this area of rest. That, that, we, would, that we would stop and actually listen to what you have to say. And think about the possibility that, that the hurry sickness that our families feel and that we feel personally is because we never stop, like you say. Help us to, to make this soul care practice part of our lives and as we do to realize the fullness that jesus promised and it's in the name of jesus that we pray amen 
So our servers will be passing you communion in just a moment. And as they do, you can go ahead and take a piece of bread and the cup and meditate on the sacrifice Jesus made for you while we watch some images and listen to a song. we give you thanks, Jesus, for offering your life, your body, your blood for us in order that we can have eternal life in a relationship with your Father. Pray that we would never take your sacrifice on our behalf for granted. 
Lord, there are times that we, we may not feel an intense sense of gratitude for what you've done. And in those moments, I pray that you would uh, help us to see the, the depths from which you pulled us, that we were hopeless, helpless. We were in bondage to sin. But the blood of Jesus released us. And we can now be friends with God because of that. Give us a, an undying sense of gratitude for this sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Our servers will now come and, and receive the offering while they do. A few reminders for you. Similar to the last few weeks, as you're leaving, you see a couple of tables. One has some pictures on it for those of you that ordered uh, pictures through Daisy. Uh, you can go ahead and pick up and pick up the ones that you have ordered. And then the next table right toward the door has uh, the couple of sets of cards for you. The one has the, the picture of the stop sign on it that you can go ahead and give to somebody or, or lay somewhere uh, that, that a person might pick it up. Just inviting them to be a part of this series and talk about how rest can really make a difference in their life. The other has the image of the prayer chairs on it. And on the back side are those five questions that we're praying during these, uh, these 11 weeks, this 11-week challenge as we work toward um, that one-time offering that we'll be collecting on December 8th uh, toward the building of the building. So make sure you continue to pray through those as well. On your uh, folder today, you see there are some activities coming up. Uh, a ladies' retreat that is uh, coming, I believe, on November 8th. You need to get registered for that on the website. And we also have our camp out this weekend. So if you signed up, it's coming. If you didn't sign up, you can still come. It's going to be a great time. Lots of space out there to be able to enjoy before dirt starts to move and they pave paradise and put up a parking lot, which will be paradise. So anyway, we're going to sing as we go. Why don't you stand? Thanks again for being here today.
Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Green. I had a dream.